Welcome to Max's Table, a food podcast from the State Hornet, where we talk about food and learn about food to learn more about people. Now, I know the pandemic feels like it's been forever, and I know we all remember when there wasn't any toilet paper or bottled water in the store. But can you remember the food situation? It also felt dire. Freezer aisles were completely cleaned out, produce displays usually filled with mountains of corn and onion were reduced to empty tables with nothing but dusty scraps of corn husks and onion skins. It may have made you think a little bit harder about the food distribution chain. But really, most of us have no idea how complicated that chain really is. Our guest today gives us an inside look into that chain and just how mind-boggling it is. It's my good friend, Gina Bakovich. For nearly 20 years, Gina has worked in produce distribution for one of the major produce warehouses in Sacramento, General Produce. Gina is incredibly passionate about what she does. She worked as a buyer for 16 years and is now an inventory control manager. But really, she's just a wealth of knowledge about our food system. I learned so much from her. For instance, you know those bagged salads? That plastic is a special plastic that aspirates to let good gases in and bad gases out. Otherwise, the salad would just wilt in an hour if you bagged it up in a regular plastic bag. Someone had to invent that. Just like someone had to invent the stickers on fruit that peels off easily and is biodegradable and non-toxic. Anyway, the lesson is that there's way more that goes into all those fruits and vegetables in our grocery stores than you could possibly fathom. And Gina is here to tell us all about that and how it all got disrupted because of COVID-19. So what, how did you end up working in produce? I know you love food and you love to talk about produce now, but how did you end up working in, in that world? Um, I, the fates were shining down on me. I, I didn't, I, I, I don't think I would have ever woken up one day and said, you know, I think I, I think I want to be a produce buyer when I grow up. I, it just <laughs> never, it's the radar. Uh, but I had been working for Lucky Stores and then I worked with Albertsons for a little while. I was working in the meat and seafood department, and I had had an opportunity to work with um, quite a few people through store re-grand openings and remodels or new store openings. And through some of those contacts, they had gone on and they were working in the produce departments for the for the store. And they had gone on to work for General Produce. And I wasn't finding that where I was at was fulfilling enough. And I had an opportunity to interview at General Produce with those connections. And I got in there and it just worked. And the produce industry has been, it's like family. It's amazing. The connections and the people that I have um, had a, a chance to, to make those contacts with, it's very fulfilling and I, and I love it. I, I, I can't really imagine working in another industry now, which is, which seems odd to me because I, I didn't necessarily think that produce would have been uh, the way I would run and not to say that, um, you know, things don't change, but, but yes, I, I really love it. It's, it's, I feel like it's like got in my bones somehow. I imagine that particularly on the, on the production and people who are still farming and, and doing that work are oftentimes I'm sure really passionate about what they do and, and, you know, growing a great product and then when you're dealing with restaurants you're certainly on that end as well dealing with people who are really 
passionate about what they're doing and taking a big risk in that business to begin with. So, yeah, it's it's really satisfying and fulfilling. And I don't talk about this at work necessarily all the time, but there's really like this spiritual connection with feeding people, being attached to those things that are grown in the ground, that it's like being involved with our planet and taking that trying to be part of best practices, like all around, not just for businesses and to people, but also to earth, to the earth, and to take this to help feed and nurture people, you know? And I, I just really, it is satisfying. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I think everybody who was paying attention probably saw, I think the, you know, potatoes just being thrown away was kind of one of the biggest produce stories that hit during covid of you know restaurants in particular are obviously a major buyer of produce and they all shut down for a long time and lots of them are still shut down or and many will likely close forever so i was just curious to get from your perspective working in um, produce supply what work has looked like the last six months and sort of what changed and um just kind of any stories as to how much of an impact that had on you and in the supply chain when all these restaurants shut down so I don't think there's any part of our business that hadn't been touched. I mean, that's just flat. There's there's not one single piece of how we go to business that hasn't been touched. We were able to weather that in the fact that we dealt with not only food service customers, but retail customers. We also had our overseas customers, military contracts. So, um, you know, school business went away because schools, you know, they ended up shutting down. Um, so we were able to shift from one thing to the other. I, I saw a bunch of different ways that um, different produce companies reacted. Um, some of the produce companies that are very food service oriented only, uh, they were definitely very hard hit. Uh, but I saw them come up with some ingenious ideas on how to, on how to handle that. For example, um, they started to make Kind of a csa type of box you know so it was a produce box so the, the produce that would normally be going to their end user in the food service realm um, they made those boxes on site and instead of delivering to those guys they would set up uh, delivery times days in the parking lot of their facility uh, with people and say cash only come through you pop your trunk we throw it in you go away you have produce because a lot of the times people weren't able to get fresh fruits and vegetables uh, at the grocery store because they were, the pipeline was just, just shut down. They, they couldn't, yeah. couldn't get stuff out fast enough because I think overall uh, fruits and vegetables, fresh fruit, they took about a 39% increase spike from in one week from the start of COVID to one week, seven days, 39% increase. Wow. All fruits and vegetables across the board. That was like the initial knee jerk. That was during the hoarding phase? Was that when people were going to the store and just buying everything they could? Yes, the hoarding phase. <laughs> Toilet paper and potatoes initially. That's right. <laughs> and rice and flour. And rice and flour. And yeast, apparently, because everyone thought they were going to make their own bread. And yeast, yes. And so now we have a nation of uh, scratch-made bread makers out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. I certainly have probably now about a pound of yeast because I finally got a huge jar and then 
I, even you and some other people I knew started, you know, giving us yeast when they had extra. So now I have way more yeast than I'll ever need. Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, you're all set now for the next two years. Exactly. And what, did you hear any stories from the, the farming side of suddenly I have all this crop and nobody wants to buy it because there's no, no buyers? That was prevalent across the board. There was, everybody was trying to pivot <laughs> on a dime to see what they could do. A lot of the, a lot of them, they just tilled the field right under. They just hmm. they tilled the field right under. They just, the entire crop, it would just be lost, you know. Um, there's, and we still don't know what the final ramifications of that are. So I'm curious, since I have you, I think people oftentimes just don't, think about how complicated the process is for a bag of carrots to go from being grown to ending up in their grocery store so you can buy it for, you know, three, three bucks or whatever, you know, a bag of baby carrots is. So tell me just a little bit about, from your perspective, how complicated the whole, the whole system is to fill our grocery stores with all these fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, and then after that, I'll ask you about you know, or if you want to go into it, I'm curious what, like, what's the most complicated crop? I, I look across the whole spectrum of produce and I find it all amazing and challenging in different ways for every single uh, aspect of, of the fruits and vegetable, you know, piece of it. There's always the component of, of mother nature, weather, you know, which climate do you live in? You know, in California, in the Salinas Valley down there, we supply, I think it's something like 85 to 90% of all the leafy greens consumed in the United States, the entire nation. So what does it take just for that, let's say? So you only have a limited amount of land down there. Think about the like the, the square footage, the how many miles, square miles you have down there to grow this stuff. Okay. Farmer down there with technologies to measure and to react to changes in weather, acidity or pH in the soil, um, bugs that year if we have if there's any type of any type of molds, mildews, funguses, uh, anything that happens like that within a day, if not hours, predict when that lettuce is gonna be ready to harvest because if you have, you're going to need to get that out of the ground before it bolts, goes to seed, you lose it, it gets too so old. You have to have the labor, right, invested at the right time to do it. Um, during the winter time, especially if you're talking about leaf vegetables, if it's too rainy, you can't get any of the machinery into the field to actually harvest it if, if it's machine it, harvested. It's cold enough, you can't get into harvest when it's still frozen first thing in the morning, so you lose hours of harvest time until after the sun's been up and warmed the ground and the product up enough so you can actually touch it without breaking leaves off the plant like icicles, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so now you had to wait most of the part into the day for that for those grains because they've been might frozen have had rain for a week previous to that and now you can't get your tractor in and then there. you've only got five hours left of sun instead of a normal nine or ten you might have had during the summer you lose the equivalent of 16 hours and two days of, of harvesting time so now your product 
is now a trucking to get it there. Are trucks late because of road, you know, hazardous road conditions coming across the, the like during the winter? Is it during the uh, summertime and everybody gets to where they want to be just on time, and now you've got 80 trucks waiting in a ten dock, you know, ten dock warehouse, all for the same product? Then they have to figure out the logistics of loading. Okay, so when we bring it in, when we do test and holds, you know, because they have to check for all their pathogens. You know, as some well. stuff it's like you pack and go. It's not as as bad. But there's other stuff you're like, well, nope. We've got to test it here at this point in the process. We have to test at this point in the process. We have to test it at this point, and then we have to set set it off to the you know USDA and wait until they actually approve it, check mark it, and then we can. And ship so you've it. got to coordinate all of those things just to get ahead of Ridley into your basket. So you could take it home and make a salad tonight. <laughs> and wait, there's more, you know, and it takes 45 days to grow. Right. So what they're putting in the ground now, you're going to eat in a month and a half. So what they're figuring out is, well, golly gee, is Max going to have a red leaf salad in a month and a half? Man, I don't know. Is he going to eat, you know, is Gina going to... Is Gina going to want to put red leaf in her dish that she's making? Are they going to use it as a garnish on the plate for like this crazy menu they're going to do in the fall? Or are they going to go with arugula? And also, we have programs. There's there's programs yeah. that are used so they can take all of the data for like the last 10 years and they can look at, okay, when the weather was two degrees hotter than normal leading up to June, we had a 30% spike in red leaf scales every year for the last, you know, when the temperature was five degrees cooler going into June the last five years, we saw a 1% to look at, okay, was it a rainy year? Are the schools in? The Giants and the A's do great in the playoffs. How many more peanuts were consumed by people during the playoff month. There's also things like schools. When are schools in? You look at those school contracts. How many carrots? carrots when you harvest carrots, baby carrots in specific, you're talking about one of those things that's really hard uh, to manage, is when you put those baby carrots into a package. Look at this. They put like five gallons of water in this baby carrot package. Why is there a cup of water in here with my carrots? Or conversely, these look like they're old. Look at them. They're white and they're chalky. They look like they've had them oh, on the shelf for two years in the bag to retain the correct moisture of the product, but not too much. So we're going to put an ounce of water in this bag. And by the time it gets to the store, they're like, oops, we should have put more because now they're dry. Wow. It's been really hot outside and we put this carrot in here. So it's probably going to be really dry by the time it gets to the store. So let's put in three ounces of water and gets to the store and it's swimming. And they've got to react to that every time they pack a carrot. Every time they, they pick from a field. And that's the biggest thing of, of produce is the people that have come into it. It's not just a farmer that goes out, kicks the dirt, throws some soil up into the wind and say, oh, it's going south today. And I think it's going to be, you know, using the farmer's al almanac and, you know, thinking, oh, it's going to be hot today. We better harvest early. It is science. These guys, these farmers are not just jean wearing, boot wearing. You know, they are in an office behind a computer, working with programs, working with developers, and, and they are looking at this data and, and making great decisions. Wow.
it's almost like space. I mean, even just when you, you know, it's like it becomes, it's overwhelming. And it's funny because it's space like is, you know, I look up and obviously it's baffling. But when you, I mean, even when you just said California produces 85 to 90 percent of the lettuce in the entire United States. And then I just immediately in my mind, I, like, I can't even, I just think about how many grocery stores I live near and how many boxes and bags of lettuce are in that one grocery store. And you start to think about the entire country. I mean, it just like immediately it just it makes your head <laughs> explode, which is what's so interesting about it, because we all interact with it every day and never consider the insane process that's been created to to get all that to the to the shelf. So um, a couple more questions. Well, first, to clarify, because this is I'm not sure how much truth there is or not. But but what is a baby carrot? I've heard it's a it's a crummy carrot that they shave down into a baby carrot to make it cute and you want to eat, or is it its own crop? What is it exactly? I I want to tell you that I know this specifically, but I don't. I do know a couple of things, though. I know that they don't use retread carrots to make baby carrots. Okay, that's one uh, of the rumors if, I've heard. If it, if it doesn't work, they get rid of it, you know? It's, they, they hog stuff, too. They till it back into the ground. I mean, because quality has to be... It, you don't get quality from not quality. Honestly, like I said, I don't know the specific size of the carrot that they start off with, but I, I do believe that it's a, a wider carrot because it goes through this, this, it's like a big tumbler from what I understand. See, now you're making, you're going to make me call my carrot grower now. Right. <laughs> uh, so you can get the answer. Um, and it's a big tumbler it goes through, but they use like a regular size carrot. And they tumble it down in different sections until it's it's the size they want. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not these carrots are you know shriveled and moldy on the outside. Throw them in the mini carrot machine and we'll bag it up and kids will eat it. It's fine. You'll be fine, Dustin. <laughs> you'll be fine. No. Um, so I'm gonna put you on the spot. What what is uh, what's a fruit or vegetable? that you love that you think is underappreciated or people don't even know about, or they find unapproachable, like what are some things you would tell people to, to try to cook with that you found being someone who gets to try and is, you know, I mean, I've heard you tell all kinds of fun stories, like squeezing a ripe mango on the inside of the skin and then cutting off the top and just slurping it out. Um, <laughs> what are some other just, you know, What's a what's a food that you, people don't really eat or appreciate that you love and you would suggest they try? I love beets. Um, beets are one of my favorites. There you can I there's so many applications, right? So you could put beets in slaw. You could put beets in a salad. You can eat beets by themselves. Pickled beets. They're sweet and tangy for like regular salads if you want to go that direction. Um, I love to eat um, like baby beets in different. You can they absorb whatever kind of flavor you're like throwing at them so they could put be used with all kinds of different dishes i love just you know um roast baby beets you know they're just even even grown-up beets but i love the flavor of beets and, and i find that people find them too earthy and i really like that that earthy flavor but it's a it's a strong people that a strong flavor that generally people have been like, oh God, beets. I'm like, well, I like liver too, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, uh, parsnips. That is one that we usually don't use a lot of out here. Yeah. Like in uh, like main is a mainstream vegetable. Um, I love it because I, I root vegetables, I guess in general, 
what's the proper way to wash your produce? Proper way. Um, you can either run it under cold water. Sometimes people just fill a sink up with water and dump it in there, you know, for 10 seconds and then give it a quick rinse to just rinse off the last residuals of water that they were sitting in. Um, either way, but 10 seconds. Okay. Give it a, give it a 10 seconds. So a good thorough wash. Kind of, huh? No soap, but a good, a good thorough rinse and wash. Right. No soap. I don't ever use soap. I don't ever use, um, I know there's plenty of produce products out there that you can find in your produce department, which is take this home, spread on your produce, do your things. Um, that, um, I, I don't know anything about those. I don't use them. Um, I don't think honestly that anybody I work with in the industry, at least that I've talked to, I don't know that it's ever come up around the water cooler, but, um, I don't think anybody that, uh, that I know uses it. It's not to say it doesn't work or, you know, it's not effective enough, but, uh, water, if I, if you just stick to water, should be good to go. 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Gotcha. All right. Um, so last four questions. I always do like a lightning round at the end with the four same oh, questions okay. that are okay. all that are all just kind of food, personal and food related. Um, so the first one is what is your what's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? There's a pizza, there's a pizza place around the corner. I just love pizza. My kid loves pizza. I love pizza. <laughs> and and they are. They're cheap. I mean, in comparison to all the other places, they do a really good job. And I, so that's one of them. Pizza is always a classic. I mean, we had frozen pizza last night, and I was like, Perfect. you know, this pizza's not good, but it's still good. Um, <laughs> and you know what? Even frozen, like I used to eat those uh, Totino's. I think it's pizza Totino's rolls. Yeah, Totino's pizza rolls. No, not the pizza rolls. The, oh, okay. the Totino's or whatever. You buy them for 99 cents, and it was a whole pizza. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those things were horrible, and I absolutely loved them. So cheap and crappy, guilty pleasure. I haven't done it for years, but there's one. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if you've got, if money's no option, what's the thing you're going to go blow out to to go eat and spend money on? Uh, as an entire category for a meal, I would say sushi because I can I can really do some damage there. But I love uh, red meat, ribeyes specifically. Hmm. I love prime rib, ribeyes, anything from the rib. If you're going to make it into a roast and slice it off and call it a rib, you know, if you're going to do prime rib, if you're going to barbecue either bone-in or boneless, it doesn't matter, it's the same to me, um, but ribeye, and and not just any, but a really good one. And I am of the flavor, um, man, rare. Man, yeah. eat it nice and rare. Oh, yeah, that's my that's my favorite go-to. All right. Um, what's your favorite thing to cook at home? My favorite thing to cook at home? Uh, Right now, I think it's probably pumpkin pie. Mm. Uh, my, my son really enjoys it too. So we get together, we get to cook together. We, you know, do the scratch made crust um, from my my grandma Kay's recipe, um, and we use a uh, the filling recipe that I had did, worked on since I was in uh, high school. Uh, and we make pumpkin pie together, and the kid loves to eat it. He, I find that he doesn't eat much now. His, his, the range of his food <laughs> intake is very narrow. Still, he's like, nope, hot dogs, chicken nuggets, unless it's somebody else's house, and then he acts like he's a connoisseur of all things food. <laughs> uh, but at home, he will not, he won't tolerate anything outside those two spectrums for me. But he'll eat the pumpkin pie, and I, and I enjoy that with him. So that's good. Do you, like use can, do you use canned pumpkins or do you use fresh pumpkins? 
No, uh, we, Rex and I have garden. We grow the pumpkin. We harvest the pumpkin. We bake the pumpkin. We puree the pumpkin. And then we do all the things with the pumpkin. Cool. So, all right. So it was, he gets to see it from that huge perspective. Yeah, that's cool. And what's, what's the thing you, you ate growing up um, that you miss? Mm. I the things that I miss I make for myself now because truly I I I love myself and I like to do that so I do that but um my grandmother making me breakfast first thing in the morning when I was sleeping we'd stay at her house during the summertime and I could remember uh lying in bed <clears throat> and hearing her kind of putz around the kitchen and the kitchen noises of her getting ready and then I could smell the bacon and I can smell the the sweetness of the pancake cooking and hear the frying of the eggs. So she'd make fried eggs. And then she'd come in and get up, get up, start to wake up, kids. Mm-hmm. And then we'd wake up. I wouldn't even have the sleep out of my eyes. And she'd have us, you know, sitting at the kitchen table trying to eat a three-course breakfast meal. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so for my childhood, I, I really missed waking up to to grandma's cooking for, for breakfast. So Thanks for uh, indulging me and taking the time this morning. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this episode of Max's Table. A quick note, I looked into those baby carrots, and it turns out that they were invented by a farmer named Mike Eurosek. What happened was, is he was growing standard table carrots like you would normally see. But more than half of those carrots grow too misshapen or crooked to go to grocery stores. So he developed a way to take those misshapen carrots and shave them down into the baby carrots we all know today and love or hate however you feel about them. So the truth lies somewhere in the middle. They're not nasty, reject, shriveled carrots, but they are sort of misshapen reject carrots that aren't pretty enough to just get displayed in your produce section. Be sure to check out statehornet.com for all our podcasts, including our newest podcast launching this week called Buzzed. It's a variety show that'll feature four staffers or editors each week talking about pop culture, what's going on in social media that week, or anything else that crosses their mind. Be sure to check out the show page for this episode to see what I cooked this last week, which included a pretty elaborate hot dog after last week's discussion about is a hot dog a sandwich, and some sweet potato tacos with a roasted persimmon salsa that was pretty tasty. Until next time, enjoy some food you love with someone you love.